What makes a wise leader? Money. <laughs> Just read it. Money. Done. Mm, yeah. Oh, if only that were true. I mean, there are, there are thousands of books about leadership, leadership styles, how to be an effective leader, how to lead people, blah, 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 blah. What makes an effective and wise leader? Legendary coach, uh, UCLA coach uh, John Wooden, uh, talked about what it makes an effective leader. Now, John Wooden was the most amazing leaders of men uh, of all time, not just because he won a lot of games, because you talk about the men that he led, and they talk about uh, how he changed their life. And so he talked about how he learned leadership from his father. Uh, Wooden grew up in, in rural Indiana, and in rural Indiana, uh, the county would hire uh, local farmers to bring their wagons and their mules or horses to go into the gravel quarries and to get the gravel and then to take it and to spread it onto the roads, to spread it out for the, the county. So they just kind of outsourced it to people. But part of the problem was these gravel quarries were, were, were sometimes steep and they were muddy. And so uh, it will become difficult for the horses to take a full load of gravel in their wagon. To, they'd get stuck in the mud and it would be hard work. And uh, uh, it'd take an effective leader to, to get it to work. And so one time, uh, Wooden describes that he saw a young farmer cursing and whipping his beautiful horses to get them the, the gravel out of the pit. I mean, just cursing and whipping, and the, the horses were stomping and, and frothing about moving away from the whip, and nothing was happening, nothing going on, and, and he saw his father just witness this for a moment. And he waited, and he waited, and then his father came up to the young farmer and said, son, let me take it from here. And so the young farmer, upset, walked away, and so then he saw his father quietly walk between the horses and whisper to him and pet them and groom them and whisper to them. And eventually he got in between both of the horses and he, as he kept whispering and, and touching them gently, he, he grabbed their uh, bridles and then their bits and you can see I'm such a great horseman. I talk about this. And then he, he whispered and he talked to them more. And then eventually his father got in front of the horses and did a gentle whistle. And the horses, with ease, moved out of the gravel yard. Wooden said over this, he said, over the years, I've seen a lot of leaders act like the angry young farmer that, who lost control. So much more can usually be accomplished by my dad's calm, confident, and steady approach. There are two different ways to lead. With wisdom, skillfully living for God, or foolishness, or folly. There are two different ways to lead a corporation, with, with, with wisdom or with folly. There's two different ways to lead a nation, with wisdom or with folly. Uh, there are two different ways to lead a congregation, with wisdom or with folly. And there are two different ways to lead a family, with wisdom or with folly. Here's the truth. Regardless of whether or not you follow or love God, God does not always remove foolish leaders from our lives. 
I'll say that again. Regardless of your love of God or not, God may or may not remove foolish leaders from our lives. Nor does it mean we are incapable of being foolish leaders if we love God. If we love God, we can still be foolish and live into folly. Because, here's the great universal truth, humans sin. There are wise leaders that make foolish decisions. And they are foolish leaders that make wise decisions. What makes for an effective and wise leader? Solomon teaches us through a, a lament of Proverbs. He teaches us in the, in the negative what makes a wise leader because he talks about what makes a foolish leader. What makes a foolish leader under the sun? Ecclesiastes 10, 4 through 5, he says it here. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. So he's talking about leadership. And he knows from the very outset, whether the, the leader is wise or, or foolish, what can help a leader? Followers who are calm. <laughs> Calmness. Followers can lead the leader with calmness. So what are, here's the characteristics, six characteristics that Solomon pulls out what makes a foolish leader. Foolish leaders promote wrong people. Ecclesiastes 10, 6-7. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So it's also foolish people promote foolish leaders, but foolish leaders also promote and surround themselves with wrong and foolish people. Now, if you're reading this, you heard this correctly, this verse, it should uh, jar you. It should be upsetting to you, the language that Solomon is using. Did did you hear what he said? Because he seems to be equating that rich people equal wisdom and that slaves are fools. That's the kind of language that he's saying right now. And it should be like, that. that's not okay, Solomon. You can't talk like that. That is not the right way to speak. And that is not exactly how he's speaking. Because yes and no, he's saying that. But rich here for Solomon is not material wealth. Rich is not equated to that. Rich here is equated to uh, faithful, fair, patient, hardworking. You get this kind of sense in Proverbs 10.4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of a diligent makes rich. And so even in Solomon, in, in Proverbs, he's not talking about just material wealth. He's talking about, about a fairness and the quality of their character. So he's not comparing rich to poor, but rich to folly. The rich here is not a lottery winner. The rich here is not someone who's got an inheritance that brings it down, but one who has been steady, working hard, over the long haul and has benefited from that work. And the, uh, the point here is that slaves here are not contrasted, are, here are contrasted with princes serving. So slaves, it's not in the idea of how we see uh, African Americans have been enslaved in this country. Uh, the slaves that Solomon were talking about, slaves that were uh, criminals uh, uh, or debtors. 
Right, and so what he's saying here, it is foolish for someone to appoint uh, a, 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 one who is, can't control his own finances and who's in debt to appoint him to be treasurer over the kingdom. That would be foolish. If he can't handle his own money, why could he handle the kingdoms? And so putting people in the wrong places. The point is foolish leaders are impatient. Foolish leaders uh, want quick, rich schemes. They're, they're wandering. They're slothful. Part of the problem uh, that we run into in this chapter 10, part of the problem I ran into chapter 10, is that it's proverbial language. I don't know if you, you listened to Nikolai and you read that, you're like, oh, that made completely sense, what, what Solomon was saying. Let me tell you this week, this was a very hard sermon to put together. I don't mean you to look, oh, man, Master Teresa got such a hard life. That's not my point, because you, re- you heard it. And then I, got, I had to re- preach a sermon on this. It's proverbial language. And proverbial language is, is hard to preach from, especially when it's a string of one proverb after one proverb after one proverb. And the important thing about understanding the proverbs is that they are normative and they're not final language. Meaning they're, they're normative language, they're wise language, but they're not laws. It's not the law. It's, it's a guiding principle of how you understand this. So I had to struggle this week. What is Solomon talking about? And in the end, he was talking about rulers. Foolish rulers. It is normative, right? Uh, but to put people who cannot control their finances uh, to be not in charge of treasures. But look, at, we also know there is exceptions to this. Remember uh, Joseph in Egypt? He was a prisoner. He was a slave. And yet God rose him out and put him in charge of all of Egypt. Right? So it's normative. It's not law. There are exceptions to this rule. We also don't appoint murderers in charge of the military. Right? We want wise leaders in front of us. Under the sun, foolish leaders put fools in positions of honor power, and leadership. And here's the thing. Sometimes true wisdom and true leadership doesn't come from places of honor. It doesn't come from places of prestige. But true leadership comes from a stable. True leadership comes from a carpenter shop. And true leadership comes on a cross where thieves go to die. Foolish leaders promote people in wrong places. Foolish leaders resist humility. Ecclesiastes 10, 8 through 9. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. And here's the point. This is what he's trying to say. Is that, look, at, if you dig a pit, you're bound to fall into it. Right? Don't think you can just dig a pit where everyone walks and that, that you're not going to fall into it. That would be silly. And also, if you, uh, if you break a wall where the snakes hang out, you're eventually going to get bit by a snake because that's what snakes do when they get disturbed. Don't think that somehow because who you are that you're going to be immune from falling in the pit 
or from getting bit by the snakes or people who work in quarries that split rocks, right? Eventually, you're going to get hurt by that because it's hard labor and eventually mistakes happen. So don't think that because of your position of power or your leadership or who you are that you will not get hurt, that you're somehow immune from all the consequences of your work because that's ridiculous. That's folly. And so people in power often use their position as means of escape of the ordinary life or the consequences of ordinary life. They begin to believe and act like they are not like other people. They deserve more or they've earned their position by who they are. Maybe their unique gifts or the talents and somehow they've earned their status, their entitlements, their rights. And for pastors, right? We feel like we can earn, like we've earned our position. God favors us. He put me in power because I am special. The, le- the leadership, right? Leadership that is folly seems to take that we are immune from accountability. And so you often hear pa- pastors talk about you can't touch the anointed one. I don't know if you've been in churches a little bit like that or heard churches talk about that. But if you accuse the pastors or the elders or think that they are wrong, you can't accuse or charge the anointed one because somehow the pastor is the anointed one. And we talk about in ourselves as a position of power or, or we, as we lack humility, humility, we've been talking about in Ecclesiastes where we can't die, we can't be harmed. We don't think about that. And of course, you're reminded this week that anyone can die no matter who they are, or what position they are, or what status they have in our culture, because we know death is certain. The time in our death is uncertain, as we find out quickly. I'm going to take a little side from my sermon, because uh, this Kobe thing has been bothering me. This, we had a moment of silence yesterday at my kids' games for Kobe Bryant for 24 seconds. Now, Nothing against Kobe Bryant. But it just points to why we appoint leaders in our life. Why is Kobe Bryant considered an idol or, or a person in our life? Anything that he's done worthy? I mean, he's a great basketball player. Why should we mourn his death more than anyone else's? He's not Martin Luther King Jr. I'm, I'm just... In fact, he's a very flawed human being. And this, this girl dad phenomenon that's come from him, right? This girl dad phenomenon that's, that's come from Kobe Bryant because he was a father of four girls and people tragically lost their lives. And it is sad because death is sad. It makes us grieve. But why are we promoted that he was such a great father to girls? Because he learned what it means to, be, to, to love and respect girls once he had girls? But until then, before then in his rest of life, and I don't know if you know a story then, but he didn't respect women. Are we supposed to be excited about that and honor that? I'm excited that he's learned something. I'm excited he learned it before he died. But let's not honor someone like that in our culture. Because that's what a culture does. They honor the people that reflect themselves. Foolish people promote foolish leaders and foolish icons.
Foolish leaders resist humility. Foolish leaders act entitled. Ecclesiastes 10.11. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. And so the snake charmer believes he doesn't need to actually teach the snake or actually have to learn how to teach that snake to be charmed. A snake charmer doesn't just come out like has magical ability to charm the snake. It takes years of practice to practice to, to learn how to charm that snake and actually to train that snake to be charmed. If you just take a snake and try to charm it, you're going to get bit by that snake. You're a fool. So you act entitled. The leader doesn't need knowledge. He doesn't just he just just needs to do it. And we love this kind of leader. We love this line of leader because these kind of leaders promise us things that we don't have to work for. Or they promise us things without pain or struggle. So we like that kind of leader. I like it when people are going to give me things and promise me things that's not going to cost me anything. That's the kind of leader I want in my life. These type of leaders are saviors. They're not servants. We expect them to work perfect without mistake or harm, and they provide us. And when, and when our leaders don't do work perfectly, we're surprised by that because we act entitled that we deserve perfect leaders. Things should be easy for them, and they should be easy for us. Foolish leaders act entitled to their position and to their power, and foolish leaders use people. Ecclesiastes 10.10 and 10.15. If the iron is blunt, the one does not sharpen the edge. He must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. And the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Foolish leaders think people are a means to the end. Instead of thinking that they are there to serve the people. Because foolish leaders, back to the other things, think they are immune to harm and entitled to painless work. Foolish leaders see themselves, see people as instruments for their benefit and their glory. Case in point, Solomon's own son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam, after Solomon's death, was uh, the king. And so the people were tired after uh, Solomon's hard labor that Solomon put on the people that he required. And so Rehoboam asked his father's counselors, he says, what should I do to help these people follow me? Should I, should I double their work or should I be kind and gentle? And all, all Solomon's counselors said to Rehoboam, said, man, ease off. If you ease off on these people and you don't require so much work from them, they're going to love and follow you wherever you go. And Rehoboam said, Psh, cast out his father's counselors. And he tells the people, look, at, you think my father was hard on you? He's nothing. I'm good. I'm just making it work harder and harder and harder. Foolish leaders only see dignity in themselves and not in other people. Foolish leaders don't even see dignity in rest. They don't even see dignity in work. They don't see in the dignity of the tools that do the work. There's no virtue in the long haul. And the imagery here is right. The, the iron is blunt right here when you're working. Right? And, the, and the knife gets not sharpened or things becomes dull, right? It takes a lot longer to cut that thing. And so if you just take a moment and sharpen it, care for it, give it some rest, then that work becomes so much easier. We love, uh, 
these kind of leaders that use people are impatient because they want flashy things. They want to make a big splash. They want to impress people. That's what Rehoboam did. He wanted to impress the people. We love these type of leaders because they provide us instant gratification because we don't have a long view of things. We don't see the folly in their ways. Foolish leaders use people. Foolish leaders are always talking. Ecclesiastes 10, 12 through 14. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. A foolish leader loves to hear himself talk. So he multiplies his words and says nothing of importance or substance. They just talk. I'm sure you're familiar with people like that in your life. And if one is talking, here is a truth. If one is continually talking, they are never listening. A foolish listener never listens. A foolish listener never values anyone else or never values anyone else's thoughts. And a foolish, listener, if they're, a foolish leader, if they're always talking, they can never be listening and they can never be learning because they think they have all knowledge. A foolish leader doesn't ask help and doesn't ask questions. Much in the same way as the, as the, the story in the parable of Hound Christianity of the emperor's new clothes. And if you don't know this parable, I'll tell it in my words, right? And so the emperor is seeking new clothes, right? and so uh, he asks his tailors, his tailors go off, they don't have the right fabric, and so uh, they pretend to sew something together, and then they, uh, and they all agree, he has this cohort of tailors, and they, and they put him on, and they, and they suit the emperor, but they don't put anything on him. But the emperor, who is so arrogant, doesn't want to look like a fool, because they're all going on, oh, it looks beautiful, it's magnificent, I've never seen anything like it. They're all put the fool on him, so he doesn't question it. He doesn't question his tailors. He just marvels at his fancy new clothes. And depending on the tale, the way you've heard it, he could be totally naked. And then he walks outside. And everyone is like, what is going on? But the emperor's like, don't you like my new clothes? I mean, he's a fool. He's revealing himself to be a fool. Because he wouldn't challenge or he wouldn't ask questions about a simple thing. A foolish leader is always talking. Have you ever heard the phrase, a mile wide and an inch deep? That's actually a description from a journalist in 1889 about the Platte River, which is a tributary of the Mississippi River. And so it's this long tributary, but it was only inch deep, so it was useless for commerce. You couldn't put any shipping boats in it. You couldn't pass the commerce because this, this wide river that looked like it could be useful, but it was pointless for commerce. And that, that, that phrase, a mile wide and inch deep, came to people that were just fools, that just talked about something that said nothing. And that's what leaders, foolish leaders are. They are a mile wide and an inch deep. They're useless. A wise person knows his limits and knows the limits of his wisdom. A wise person realizes that he cannot predict or know the future or know the outcomes of certain events. Foolish leaders are also decadent and undisciplined. Ecclesiastes 10, 16 through 19. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. 
Happy are you, O land, when your king is a son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladness gladdens life. Money answers everything. I'm not even going to deal with that <laughs> phrase. Here's the point of what Solomon is saying. He's saying, like, foolish leaders are like children. There's no restraint in their lifestyle. If we put no boundaries around our children, they would eat candy all day long and ice cream. Same with Jody. If there were no boundaries around Jody, he would eat ice cream from morning, noon, and night. Right? So there's no restraint. They don't discipline their time. They don't discipline their life. And realize there is a time and a reason for fasting. There is a time and reason for restraint. And there is a time and reason for self-discipline. Not everything's a party. Every moment's a chance to indulge yourself. To treat yourself. Everything is that moment. It's a, King Azarias in uh, the book of Esther. I don't know if you remember that story at all. But King Ahasuerus, he was this, they paint, the book of Esther paints him as a fool. At the beginning of this book, what does he do to celebrate his greatness? He has a three-month party. Every night, a feast. And he's continually drunk. And if that doesn't paint a fool, everything that's ever talked about him in the book just talks about he is a moron. And it starts because he has no restraint. He thinks he's all-powerful. He thinks he's immune. He thinks he doesn't need anyone else's wisdom. I mean, he fulfills every one of these things that I've talked about. Decadent and undisciplined. What makes for an effective and wise leader? In our folly, we promote fools who lack character. In wisdom, Jesus takes off his robe and washes feet. John 13, 5. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In our folly, we see leadership as a means of avoiding accountability and consequence of life, that we're above it all. In wisdom, Jesus takes on our consequence and walks towards his death. Luke 9.51 when the days drew near from him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem. He knew his task. He knew his role. He knew how to lead. In our folly, we seek entitlement without pain or without effort. In wisdom, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. In our folly, we resist rest. We use people for gain, for our benefit. In wisdom, Jesus sought solitude and rest and said this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In our folly, we talk loudly and incessantly and refuse to listen and to learn. In wisdom, Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Hebrews 5, 8. 
you want to learn obedience to God, it's going to come through suffering. In our folly, we use our time and our resources inappropriately for our own desires and wants. In wisdom, Jesus knew the time and season for all things. And for those that overlooked him and scoffed at him, he said in John 7, 6, Jesus, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. In a sense, what he's telling the Pharisees, enjoy your moment. Live it up, because it's not going to last. Is that what you want your moments to be? I only got this life, so I might as well live it up, and then it will be done. That's not how Jesus lives his life. He lives his life knowing that there's an eternity, that it never ends. In these passages, Solomon laments the foolish leadership of the world and of his time. Where Solomon laments, Jesus takes up. Where Solomon laments the leadership and the folly of this world, Jesus takes the mantle of leadership and shows us. Shows us the opposite of what Solomon laments. Where every foolish leader has failed, Jesus has redeemed. Zach Eswine, in his book, says this, Every act of Jesus promoting the humble, resisting entitlement, surrendering to limits, talking truly, and using time appropriately is applied to pay for our every act of indulging the proud, seeking immunity, demanding entitlement, exploiting limits, talking big, and using time inappropriately toward the hurt of others. I mean, did you think about it? Not just, not just Jesus' death that's redeeming things. It's his act. Every moment that he walks and acts on this earth is to redeem every act that we haven't done. That's in opposition to it. He's showing us the way. He doesn't demand us to go that way. He says, follow me. I will lead the way. He doesn't demand things to do that he won't do first. There are two types of leaders. There are foolish leaders and there are wise leaders. And our leadership reflects us. Period. Our leadership reflects humanity. You think about when, uh, you know, the king of Israel used to be God. And then the people demanded a human king. He said, well, you know, God, you're not really good enough for us. I think we got this. Can we have a human king? And God says, okay, you want a human king? You want a king just like you? Go ahead. I'll let your leadership reflect you. See that where that takes you. And it's gotten us here, hasn't it? There's not a human leader that's a savior. Right? There's one, a Savior, that's already come, that redeemed all our acts, that has showed us the way. The one that says, come, follow me. The one who's humble. The one who's gentle. The one who's wise. We need to be people that seek, promote, and encourage wise leadership of Jesus in all areas of our lives. We need to encourage, promote it in our homes. 
We need to encourage and promote it in our churches. We need to encourage and promote it in our businesses. We need to encourage and promote it in our country. Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection recovers the character of God's leadership that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden before the fall. It's all of it. It's who he is. Everything about himself, the way he lived his life, the way he died for us, the way he was resurrected for us, that is recovering the character and leadership of God that Adam and Eve needed, that you and I need forever and ever. A leader that doesn't reflect our character, but a leader who imparts his character upon his followers. God's promise is that he is always with us to the very end of the age. He is still leading us wisely today. Will we follow that wise leader? Or will we follow the, the folly of human leaders? We take a shortcut, the easy way out, as we think. All of the folly, all of the, of the foolish leadership of this world points to the wisdom of Jesus. Because it's in the exact opposite. Everything which I said in Solomon laments is what Jesus is the exact opposite of. This Jesus is a kind and he is a gentle leader. That when we obey his wisdom, when we obey his wisdom, when we're stuck in the mud in our sin, and we just can't get out and we struggle with our own way and the way of the leaders of this world, and we're just like, what is going on? And we begin to curse ourselves and curse the people around us and curse the month that we're in and curse the world that we're in, and we begin to beat ourselves up. Jesus says, whispers in our ears, follow me. My way is easy. My way is my ways restful. It's not a struggle. Come follow me. And like a horse in the gravel, it doesn't seem so hard then when we follow Jesus' way. Even though Jesus' way is hard, it is costly. Leadership is light upon us. His yoke is easy compared to our foolishness, compared to the foolishness of the world. All is accomplished. All is accomplished by our dad's calm confident, and steady hand. I want you to hear that again. Everything is accomplished by our Father's calm, steady, confident hand. He is not frazzled by your sin. He is not, uh, he is not overwhelmed by it. Will you follow his leadership? Will you follow his way? Let us pray. Gracious God, I am thankful. I am thankful that even though we promote foolish leaders and we follow foolish leaders, that you are a God, that you are a God that is always leading us, that is patient, that is gentle. I'm, I am glad that you are a God that is confident and calm and steady-handed with us that your life and death and resurrection are showing us the way. Help us to love you. Help us to love your leadership.
Help us to love those that follow you the way that you love them. Help us to love the world in the way that you love them. Help us to follow that leadership. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.